you only crave more of what you, you know the, that feel good feeling and you just crave and crave and crave craving causes a lot of suffering said the buddha so meditation aims to slow things down because once everything is slowed down as much as possible you can see things clearer hello everyone i'm abinov jan and this is the real abinov audio experience Welcome to the Real Abinov Audio Experience. This is your host, Abinov Jan, and I aspire to make this podcast go beyond the surface. In this podcast, I intend to bring you insights from the topmost performers, no matter what industry they're in. We talk about how they've done things differently to grow their minds and keep their physical and mental health in shape. My mission with this podcast is to help overwhelmed individuals learn ways to reduce their depression, anxiety, and live with peace and love. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Blossom Media Studio. Thank you so much for creating and distributing my podcast and taking away literally every single thing that's involved with podcasting so I can just spend the time to talk to my guests and create great episodes. Welcome everyone to another episode. Today I have Monk Chidao with me. Also, believe it or not, met him on TikTok. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And hello to all of our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Kind of funny. You wouldn't think monks would be hanging out on TikTok, right? But it's incredible to see your growth there, how much you've helped people, almost at a million followers now. And uh, I found you, I think, about six months back. And I've been wanting to have a chat with you. So I'm glad that we could carve out some time today to do that. You know, I'm very curious. I always wonder because there was a time in my life when I was in a very interesting place where I wanted to contemplate too much and not really be part of the normal material world, going to a job, you know, thinking about buying a home and all. I'm wondering, like, what were you like um, as a kid? What did you dream about becoming? And then how did that translate to becoming a monk uh, in, in a later part in your life? Um, well, unfortunately, I actually grew up in a home with domestic violence. And so, therefore, I got to witness a lot of screaming, yelling, the kid hiding in the, in the closet mm. type ordeal. Uh, admittedly, my dad was a very angry man. And so, at one point, uh, he, my mom threatened uh, divorce. And when my grandmother got involved, for some reason, it was like magic. And everyone got back together. Everything was calm. However, that did a number on me psychologically. So growing up as a kid, I was very afraid and, and was powerless, um, especially in you know, de defending my mom. Um, and of course, adjusting to life in America at seven years old wasn't easy and a victim of bullying. Yeah. <clears throat> so therefore, um, yeah, it was tough. And therefore, I aspired to become a police officer, actually, to make a difference because I didn't want uh, people to go through what I went through. Mm. And uh, so therefore the pursuit uh, of being a police officer is to um, stop human behavior. Now, of course um, I had to wait for a long time before going to the Academy uh, at Manatee Technical Institute. And so along the way, I got a lot of speeding tickets, a lot, maybe three <laughs> pages. So by the time I got to Florida highway patrol, uh, Captain George Crudo with FHP said, I I'm sorry, uh, you're, you're wanting to give speeding tickets and you yourself have three pages. Yeah. 
yeah, um, why don't you try back in three years? So, <laughs> so that, that, that dream went out the window. Oh, uh, it didn't really quite went out the window. I just took those three years to go to college, uh, yeah. actually four years to go to college at Ecker college. And, um, now, uh, you know, and then I went into psychology to understand human behavior versus stopping human behavior. Uh, and then, you know, um, along the way, uh, my senior year, my grandmother and best friend passed away. And as a direct result of that, I, you know, just went on a uh, pretty much I hit rock bottom and was on a suicide mission. And that's what pushed me towards the path to peace. And, you know, here I am today as a, a Buddhist monk. Wow. Mm. From a police officer who would have to use a lot of force, you're now 911 monk patrol yeah. on TikTok. Right. Yeah. So somewhere down the line, I got to help people all along. I had never thought I would wind up where I am today. I just wanted to be a nice, quiet person. Uh, the typical Theravada monk, actually, we they typically crawl into the woods and sit there and close their eyes and focus on their breathing and look at their defilements, uh, the hindrances, you know, all of the steps uh, to take towards arahantship, Buddhahood. Um, never once that I thought I was going to blow up the way that it did. Obviously, the causes and conditions in regards to COVID, the accumulated despair that we see in our young people, and the need uh, for in search of enlightenment, the need and in search for happiness and peace, internal peace, true inner liberation, true inner happiness led to people to discover and curious about Buddhism. And I guess I just appeared at the right time in the right moment. Right. Now that's absolutely it. I mean, last year because of the pandemic and all, it was very, very rough on a lot of people, especially staying in their houses. The mental health uh, movement I think has progressed even more uh, last year than probably this entire decade. So it's good to see that, you know, there's more people out there like you uh, and myself who are trying to make a difference in this community by sharing what we have learned about, you know, dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, bipolar syndrome. And a lot of my audience, as we were talking previously, is focused around quitting addictions, especially when it comes with weed. Yes. You know, uh, I was wondering if we could maybe start talking about that a little bit, you know, because one of the most common situations that I've encountered with the young adults are it's so accessible to just keep getting high because it's so available these days. And many of them do it daily. And, you know, weed in a higher dosage can be considered a minor psychedelic. So it can promote or create some sort of an experience in you where you see a little separation between you and your body and see the observing of your mind. But it's not quite to say that it will give you a, a pure spiritual lasting experience, right? Like, I'm wondering, what would you say to those same young adults that come to you and say that, hey, I'm smoking a lot of weed and I'd like to slow it down or I'm starting to see that there's some downsides of this? How would you navigate that? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know how I got by in life not smoking weed. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> matter of fact, uh, admittedly, I lied to the police department that I smoked weed when I in fact did not, because my friends told me that on your polygraph, if you told them that if you did not smoke weed, they would never believe you. But that was the truth of wow. it. Hmm. Every time when they gave me a blunt, I actually <sighs> blew. <sighs> outward to to get that glow at the end of the blunt so that it looked like I was smoking and I would pretend like I was coughing around my friends just to fit in. But I have actually never inhaled because I didn't know how to inhale. So first and foremost, you know, I, 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 
don't know how I got by in life. Life was very stressful growing up. Um, the stages of growth and development, identity formation, all of Eric Erickson's um, theories, Maslow hierarchy of needs, theory in psychology. So now comes modern day. My take on it is uh, I know a, a, lot of, a lot of my students actually smoke weed. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of research on all of my close students, um, cross-sectional and longitudinal uh, research with them and studying them uh, to see what's going on right now with it. So, so my point is I understand why they're resorting to it. It's very stressful in school. It's very stressful during the adolescent stage. And adolescence is defined anyone who is under 25. Mm-hmm. And my professor, Bob Nolan, said, if there's no chaos in their lives, they're just simply not living. So, uh, and I went through all those stages too, the partying, the sex, uh, everything. Um, trying to fit in and trying to survive high school and trying to survive uh, college. So hopefully all of our young listeners try to cut back as much as possible because it's actually delaying, though it buys you temporary relief, it buys you temporary time to cool down, but it has long-term effects. And it... um, it really obstruct your spiritual growth and development. It also obstruct physical well-being, mental well-being. And with the recent research that we know now in 2021 is that it can uh, cause schizophrenia. Mm. Mm. So that's, that's something that I invite people to further the research into. Yeah, it's fun and everyone is doing it. You know, I, I don't think I'll become a victim of it. But when re- our researchers, PhDs start, you know, sinking their teeth into the subject and matter and they're having samples of the population and they're rendering these conclusions, you know, even those, you know, we know about research, sometimes they're conclusive, inconclusive, uh, large size samples, small size samples. It's something that people really want to rethink that, yeah, so we takes away these uh, social anxiety, general anxiety, high functioning anxiety issues, depression, uh, could mitigate bipolar. Um, but you have to see some of the side effects and other things that is affecting their mental well-being. Um, <clears throat> so in Buddhism, in the five precepts, is to abstain from intoxicating substances. And this would constitute definitely that. Because when your mind is clouded, and this will concur with our LSD talk uh, a little bit later here, which is what I'm really geared to uh, tackle, the issue of LSD and psychedelics. Um, You know, your mind's already diluted. Your mind is already hallucinating. Your mind is already playing tricks and games on you, all sorts of tricks and games on you. You mean as and, as a sober individual, that's already happening? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I take Wi-Fi away from you, put you in a room that's nice and quiet and tell you to sit still and close your eyes or just sit still there and you're going to start the, a lot of things from the past will come up. Yes. Anxiety, anxious thoughts will come up. All the things that 
we have been through in our life, you know, we're like a camera and we're like a recorder. <clears throat> As humans, we grow up and we see all sorts of things. We hear all sorts of things. We try to put the puzzles, the pieces of the puzzles together to make sense of our world, yes. to make sense of who we are, why we do the things that we do, why people do the things that they do. And just trying to make sense, a big, 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 big question mark uh, about it. Then you add all these substances, alcohol, drugs, uh, psychedelics, marijuana, cocaine, you know, MDMA. And then you just compound the confusion even more. I've got a quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could take one minute of your time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way and I'd really, really, really appreciate it. If you've already done that, thank you again. Please share this episode with someone you know, a friend or family member, download the episode or share the link, whatever works for you. Now let's get back to it. Even more. And then it gets worse if you, with the existent of ADHD, the existent of, you know, depression already, the, the, the existent of anything that is described in the DSM-4 and 5, currently 5, and the ICD-10 in regards to mental health. It's not a good thing. And when you get a little bit way too far out there, it's going to be really hard for someone like me or other professionals to reel you back in, reeling you back in into reality and to help you see things as they are, you know? I don't know why, but many people that are habitual consumers of psychedelics or for, of, of weed in general, if we stick to that specifically, would defend this thought and say like, well, it actually helps me, you know, it helps me be more calm. It helps me actually be less anxious and it helps me with, you know, things that are bothering me in my life. And I think based on what you're saying, and I actually agree with this, you know, as a somebody that was heavily consuming that substance for a while, it only temporarily gives you that relief. It's not a permanent solution. It's like a bandaid. It's not going to be permanent at the end of the day, right? When you come down from that high, you're going to have to deal with your problems again. And if you consistently think that you can stay high and still function, some things you might be able to do, but many things that you're missing, you wouldn't even know what it is that you're missing on, right? Because you just don't know because, you know, there's a lot that we don't know. And I like what you said about sort of, you know, delaying the, your progress with these substances. You you may actually be asked to face some of your challenges in a more dynamic form now when you're in these situations, you're getting high, you're starting to get these thoughts of, you know, your past or something that you haven't dealt with. And now you're being forced to deal with it. I think in that case, it might be useful, like especially certain psychedelics in the set and setting of doing it as a ritual or doing it as a ceremony to allow you to have a greater insight. I think those have some purpose, but every single day when you do that, it's like an abusive relationship with, with any medicine. It's not going to help. It's going to just become like, you know, guilty pleasure, right? Like eating too many bags of chips or just too much junk food. It's not, not going to help you in any way. Um, so I, I think that's a really good thing you bring up. I wonder how, if we did want to dig into psychedelics a little bit more. I know you were, you're telling me you were going to ask some of your audience about that. Um, how did that come about for, for you and your audience? Like, what do they tell you about the psychedelic use and why they keep doing it? Um, well, before, um, before we touch up on that subject real quick, Please. before it leaves my mind, also remember that when the substance is gone, 
when there is no more weed, when there is no more pills, psychedelics, when there is no more powder, when there is no more needles, when there is no more coffee. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, how would one function every day then uh, when it runs out? Mm. Um, so I just want people to just, you know, think about that. And yes, indeed, it does help people function. But the question is for how long and how long do you need more and more of it? You know, when we grow tolerant of it and then our body craves more. Yeah. What we what we want, we always crave more. If, if you think about it, if you like chocolate, you crave more. Or if you like steak, filet mignon, you crave more. Or yeah. sex, you crave more, right? And whatever the drugs does to you and intensifies your sensual pleasures, you want more of it, thus compounding your suffering. Uh, mm. So my, my point is that it just keeps getting worse. Uh, it's not going to get any better. We have fallen into the illusion that, oh, yeah, it helps me, but for how long? Um, and when we look at the, the, the fact of true inner peace, have you tasted peace before? That, that would be my challenging question for our young listeners is that, what do you know what it's like to just be at peace with yourself, to be at peace with others? Do you know what it's like to actually live in this moment? In this moment, are you actually with her or with him or with your parents or with your loved ones or with your you know siblings, so on and so on? Um, and simple, you know, when you, when I'm sitting in front of young people and I'm looking at their eyes, it, it, it gives rise that it's anxious. It's always jerking, moving, fumbling of the thumb. And you see a lot of these manifestation of behavior that is indicative of someone who is not at peace, mm. cannot sit still, cannot just absorb in this moment. So one would question how, how do they survive, uh, job interviews how do they survive just all of the simple ordinary things to get by in life and hold down a conversation or have a meaningful relationship uh, conversation alone communication style and how long they can hold down a conversation or anything stressful right if if they're not able to cope with just being still which is a very good point i think that was something that not to take the conversation too far out but to continue on that learning how to meditate and what it actually means to be observing your mind and being silent and sitting down with that intention that I'm not here to do other things, but I'm here to sit still really started to bring a lot of things to surface, which was first off, it was very difficult and it's not as easy as it seems. And there's a lot of things that my mind, as you mentioned, is bringing to my attention and I'm somehow buying into these thoughts without necessarily even you know, it's like, it's an automatic subscription. You know, it's like you already, you already bought into this idea and now you want to play with it some more versus like, okay, maybe I don't want to deal with this right now. I need to just sit still for 10, 20 minutes. And I'm just here to focus on my breathing or to focus on my, my body and what it's doing, what, what senses are happening. You know, I think that's a really interesting idea to, to bring up, which is many of us don't know what real peace is because we think peace just means like, you know, laying out at the beach or whatever, or, you know, being with other people and having a good time and not worrying about other problems. I don't know if that's really peace. Peace, I think, is like when no matter what's happening around you, whether it's good or bad, you are in a state where 
you're not affected by it one way or another. I don't know. How would you describe what it feels like to be at fully, fully at peace? Well, <clears throat> let's go there. So peace actually has a lot to do with enlightenment. And that's why people are experimenting with psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what I call today, actually, I've been pondering about this talk the whole day, actually, since last night. I went to sleep pondering about it, reflecting on it all the way until this very moment. Oh, that's good. And uh, <laughs> I, I would, it's a big talk because it does talk about, because this does sub, touch the subject of enlightenment. And it, which is, which is in this tradition, arahantship, to become an arahant. Um, and I would describe psychedelics, people who experimented and being influenced by other influencers, people who've tried it, it's like a shortcut to enlightenment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there, there's no shortcut to enlightenment. And um, so knowledge or wisdom, what is enlightenment? Knowledge or wisdom, awakened intellect. Freedom, release of the fetters or hindrances. Uh, and the hindrances are freedom of the sensor, sensual desires, ill will, which is hatred and uh, anger. Uh, sloth, which is laziness, right? A lot of people like to sleep in bed forever, not want to go to work. Hmm, that's number true. Four, morning. <laughs> number four, restlessness and worry, anxiety. Number five, doubts. <clears throat> and... Enlightenment also means extinguishment or the blowing out of disturbing emotions. When people ask the Buddha or one and only historical Gautama Buddha, sir, venerable sir, um, what did you gain when you sat there and meditated? And the Buddha said, I didn't gain anything. I'll tell you what I've lost. I've lost anger delusion, depression, anxiety, lamentation. Uh, you know, he, he, he lost all of these things. So what is peace? That is what I would call peace. Peace is freedom from disturbing emotions. Hmm, I love that. Thoughts and emotions, right? When we study cognitive behavioral therapy, the basics of it is you think the way how you feel, you feel the way how you think. So emotions are attached on to our thoughts. Thus, and so, you know, activating event, then our belief system, and then leading to the, the action, the consequences. And when we look at that CBT model, you know, we have a scientific method of analyzing our mind clearly and to see what is disturbing our emotion. If, you, if it troubles you, if your emotion troubles you, study it. If you get angry, and you are bothered by anger, and if anger disrupts your life in some way, shape, or form, or your relationships with people, study it. Is there such thing as the study of anger? Absolutely. How many books have written out there, Barnes & Noble? The Angry Brain yeah, is one of them. Uh, you can get free podcasts uh, by Harvard, Studying Emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't study clearly and absorb all of the intellect. Remember, uh, Enlightenment is awakened intellect, wisdom, knowledge, and you can't if you're if you're drunk. Okay, that's what substances make you. They make you high, drunk, 
you know, kind of the, the, the same. <laughs> you're on a different plane. So therefore, you, you know, if I give you homework to do right now, if you're high or drunk or on a trip, actively on a trip right now, a bad trip or a good trip, can you remember one sentence that I, I, I tell you? Can you remember the four noble truths? Can you remember the noble eightfold path? There's only eight. I mean, how, how long can it possibly be? You remember seven numbers. That's a phone number. Hmm. Actually, 10. If you include the area code, if I give you the eight, the noble eightfold path, can you remember them? But you can't if you're on, if you're on a trip. You can't if you're drunk or you're high. No, that's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Uh, you're saying a lot of really good things, and I don't want to interrupt because I love to hear from you. And I feel I felt several topics that you shared. One being like studying the emotion that bothers you the most is very very powerful. Like for me, anxiety and feeling very bipolar, or like up and down, depressive were some things that I started to notice a lot when I was becoming more aware of my inner self and just noticing what kind of climate I was creating within myself. And that was something that I probably never looked at with that close of attention. And then it started to really help me in creating a path forward. Like I need to work on managing when I get anxious, managing when I feel low, what can I, what kind of triggers cause those events for me? And what can I do to get around them? I think that is something that maybe we can also talk about with this discussion, not just kind of describing the situation, but like what can someone do to get themselves out of a, a depressive mindset, an anxious state? And how can, you know, because right now they're all they're doing is taking the drugs because they feel like that temporary blocks that situation. But what alternatives would you say are there to that? I, I obviously want to say, you know, learning how to meditate, but that's a little broad and maybe... Sure. Um, I think I, I like to leave that towards the the end, um, which is right now we're trying to describe the problem and coming up with the solution. Uh, okay. I like to leave that kind of at the end. Love it. Let's uh, do I that. Some, of, some of the notes that I actually took on. Uh, is that okay with you? That's totally fine with me. I, I like to do this. I like to do this an open way. I don't have like a set. Let's do it one after the oh, next. Okay. So yeah, I'm cool with that. I, I like to ask everyone for forgiveness because. Uh, you know, any other teacher uh, would be easier than being being me uh, in this tradition and as a Buddhist monk because there's 84,000 teachings that I have to try to keep orderly and and go into a methodology. Yeah. So therefore, I apologize if, <clears throat> if I'm a little bit uh, trying to jump uh, in an, a certain orderly fashion so that uh, <laughs> I don't forget, you know, That's certain totally teachings. Fine. <laughs> totally fine. Let's go. Let's go with what you've got. Let's do it. So upon researching LSD on my, my own, uh, and you've tried it your, your, yourself, yes? Not LSD specifically, but I've tried some other psychedelics, yeah. Oh, actually, uh, psychedelics, and I, I titled this LSD, but it's, in the, it's under the umbrella of psychedelics. Yes. So, so <clears throat> the, right now, I just want to talk about the dangers of it, Okay. Um, and of course, I mean, that, that's where it needs a lot of attention and for the benefits of it, I feel that there's still lack of a lot of research in it. Uh, and you would agree that there's still lack of empirical evidence based from the areas of medicine in neurology, uh, neuropsychology, um, psychiatry, you know, cause how do we know that? Because simple, if, if these professionals 
um, board certified in psychology, board certified in neurology, board certified in neuropsychology, et cetera, and dual board certified doctors agree, then they would be prescribing it yeah. at a safe, a safe dosage. But right now, I don't see that right now at the current time in 2021. So it leads me to conclude that um, we're still lacking a lot of longitudinal studies necessary for them to render a, a good prescription for the general public. Yeah, that, just to so add one, one bit on that, the only thing that I have read or uh, heard about is there are certain medical institutes for mental health that have experimented with giving psilocybin mushrooms or, or the, the active ingredient in them to help people with uh, terminal cancer who have uh, fear of death uh, and have helped people that have uh, acute addiction problems. And those treatments, which basically induce, uh, you know, a very mind altering experience. And then of course, with therapy, uh, along with that has shown significant improvement. But again, there hasn't been a widespread adoption of that. So I totally agree with you in the sense that we don't know what we don't know about this substance. It's one of the most powerful uh, things that have existed throughout all of humanity, right? Like all these psychedelics, even like mushrooms and things like that, that grow in nature. So there's a lot that we don't know. Um, but the power behind them and how if, if they can be applic uh, applicable for the general public. And, you know, so I wanted to add that in just because someone was going to say this, like, well, they do something, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> sure. I don't, I don't oppose to yeah. it. I'm yeah. just trying to look at it from a very balanced perspective. So I'm not yeah. biased or discriminative or prejudiced about um, psychedelics. Now I just, uh, at the time of this talk, I just recently lost my, a uh, distant uncle to stomach cancer. And uh, right now I have my aunt who's dealing with breast cancer. And so I'm, and I'm, and I'm dealing, you asked me earlier before the, the talk or during the talk, how was my day? <laughs> right now I'm, I'm doing one-on-one -on -one counseling session with people uh, who is actually dealing with people who are actively dying in their life, pending mm -hmm. deaths. And they don't know how to deal so with sad. that. And because you brought this up about terminal cancer and, and, and care, uh, I'll throw this in from my standpoint because I did read a lot. I read six years ago on, you know, the, the mushrooms, the psilocybin mushroom, even mm -hmm. though I'm not pronouncing it right. <laughs> I think it's just it's good. That, psilocybin. It's all good. Psilocybin. There you go. <clears throat> you know, Vietnamese monks tend to say things <laughs> like that. Um, if, if I had a relative or close friends who is actively dying and suffering a lot, mental suffering, physical suffering. And if the Buddhist philosophy is not working out for them because they're in so much pain and misery, and if it, if, if it is their wish and desire to mitigate pain and they want to take this trip, I would not object. Mm -hmm. I said, go ahead, go ahead. Under the supervisory care, supervision of dual, of board certified doctors. And if they're dual board certified, that's even better because it's, it's calculated right on on as the safest level as we have as available science that we have to so make sure that we don't compound their suffering but i would say go ahead have at it go ahead give him the trip he wants it might it just may be the last trip or multiple trips before he sails out towards the sun yeah so that's my standpoint on terminal uh cancer or terminal illness that you know that i we know from hospice and certain hospice uh case studies is that yeah, it's really rough towards the end. You know, even for myself, if I'm, <laughs> if I am towards that, and if certain philosophy is not working for me, I just be like, listen, 
<laughs> I need y'all to put me on that trip one last time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we'll go back on point in regards to the dangers of uh, psychedelics and the collective reports that uh, have been said. <clears throat> so I'm just going to go through. I took notes and they're kind of scattered. So I'm just going to okay. just throw it out there. And whatever I need to elaborate on, I'll elaborate on it. <clears throat> Thought looping. Permanent seemingly nightmare. So that means people have nightmares. And when you're on the trip and if it goes wrong or certain experiences during the trip, it may seem quite permanent. Yes, it seems like this is never going to go away. That's terrifying. It's very terrifying. Terrifying, right? And I will, after I read all of this, I will make the comparison and contrast to what Buddhist thought is on it. How we, you know, kind of would deal with something like like this. Because mind you, 2,564 years ago, uh, I, I, you know, I haven't lived that long, 2,564 years ago, to know whether or not people were using LS, you know, uh, psychedelics back then. What I do know is that the Buddha taught that long and he used meditation to cure most of the mental illnesses that people have that long, you know, two, two millennia plus. And the philosophy worked because had it not worked, we wouldn't survive. The Buddhism wouldn't survive this long if it didn't work. So it must have worked. Something must have been working out. Okay. So bad trip territory, right? Uh, facing fear and trauma, you're compounding your suffering. While you're on the trip, it can deconstruct your sense senses. You can see the shadow side of yourself, shadow material, which is probably dark psychology. You would agree? Yes. Um, it will, I have bad handwriting. Uh, your something about your ego here. So it, it probably poke a stick at your ego, right? And the ego can be a very destructive force if not brought under control. A word I hear a lot on TikTok is depersonalization that they mm. use to describe or meta perspective where you see yourself as a concept or, you know, seeing your, your whole entire belief system as a concept and you within it as, as the character that believes in those concepts. And then you can get this sort of layer on top where you're, you're seeing that we don't quite know right. what you are. I mean, I know it better now, it. but <laughs> that carry on, please. Uh, so, um, so you will have a flush of too much fear, too much trauma can come up. Yeah. Uh, depersonalization. You just touched on that. The matter of de degree matter of degree, uh, when it is being depersonalized in the process, uh, lose joy for life. It leads to destruction in your life. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole purpose of life is to find happiness uh, in some way, shape, or form, and to uh, lose for joy of life uh, lead to, you know, deconstruction. All right. Um, confusion about reality and life can interfere with success, career, family relationship, romantic, and business. Uh, it can, for example, LSD can derail your momentum. 
I want to take another quick moment to thank our sponsors, Podcast Backdrops. If you do any kind of video content or pictures online or you're doing any sort of selling over Zoom calls, you really need to check them out because it will make you look professional from the get-go. Having your brand, your logo, and what you're all about behind you, hiding all your clutter, makes you look so much more professional when you put yourself out there on the internet. So check out Podcast Backdrops if you want to level up your game. So if you're on the path, meaning you're creating causes and conditions for success, you're hiring people, you know, business is great, people are wonderful, you're making sales, you're reaching goals. And at such time, you decide to experiment on psychedelics, it could derail you from that momentum. And that's something not to be taken lightly. A lot of people are going back to college. and I mean, who knows what kind of uh, endeavors that people are doing now. Okay, page number two. It's very short, actually. It can make you less productive. We're already less productive. <laughs> we're already we're already less productive now yeah. <laughs> with the uh, with the lockdowns uh, of uh, COVID. Um, as a direct result of being less productive, it could cost you. Uh, this one person reported losing a hundred more than a hundred thousand dollar in money because of loss of productivity. So when you look at that on a large scale, kind of like big corporations, or if you have like, if you're managing like 50 employees, just think about you, the CEO or vice president, and uh, your productivity, effectiveness and efficiency level goes down. Uh, Everyone's going to feel the waves and the financial impact of that downward uh, departure. Um, Material dimension versus spirituality uh, escape in tackling life survival skills uh, the mastery of survival skills uh, in a competent way so again the shortcut to you know the manual learning manual experience of trying to tackle some of life's hardest obstacles that we see um, and examples of that would include, I would imagine, job interview, certain decision-making processes, um, moving out, adulting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure our, our, our viewers and listeners. Yeah, a lot of them are stuck on that, that. So that's a good one. The survival skills can include communication styles and skills to nurture yeah. happy, healthy relationships. Being able to communicate properly, effectively, not being like anxious all the time if you have to go and talk to some strangers about your future. I mean, that's, you're absolutely right. Like there's a lot of young adults who reach out to me and they, they're they consuming either a lot of weed or something like that. And they're very anxious about their future. Um, and this isn't definitely helping them. Okay, <laughs> There's no way this is helping. Right. Uh, becoming isolated, antisocial, uh, misinterpreting things. Uh, like their experiences. The trip can last 12 hours or more. Um, has a lingering effect from a few days to a week. Uh, making irrational and bold decision. Yeah. Because if you think you can fly and if you jump out the wrong window, well, that'll be the last mistake you'll make. Yeah. Yeah, we all make mistakes, but don't make a mistake of a lifetime. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah. That's a bold courage, right? <laughs> no, it's true because one of the ways I've described is when someone's really high, 
you're you're basically getting a hyper threaded loop of your thoughts and emotions. Everything in sensitivity has turned up. So if you felt something incredible, like a euphoric breakthrough that you're just like, oh, I can do this, and you feel that way, and then you go and take an inspired action, but maybe it's too bold of an action, you know, or or whatever have you. When you come back down from that state, you may not feel like that was the best thing to do. You know, and that's the only way to find that out is at a later point in time. You don't know the consequences of your actions sometimes immediately. Actually, a lot of times you don't know them immediately. Um, so that's a really good point. I like that. Do you have anything else on your notes? Oh, yeah, we're almost done. Uh, it can demotivate meditation practice. Uh, LSD can review how pitiful meditation can be. <laughs> you can fall into chronic use usage. You can have a false sense of enlightenment. Um Sometimes you can get a glimpse seeing a small facet of the truth, but not all of the truth. Uh, there are multiple facets with many trips uh, in the future to put all the facets together. Uh, that's you know kind of like you know, when you go on, you know, sometimes people would try this trip, that trip, and then they think they've seen it all, yeah. but it's only a facet of the whole truth, whatever the yeah, truth Nobody is. knows everything. <laughs> you <Correct>. can't. <laughs> Correct. Uh, multiple God heaven experience and then compare that with the pale mundane experience of life so you know you can have like that like you said euphoric godlike uh, experience and then you compare that with the mundane of life and you're just like oh wow I really don't want to be here that but then that just compounds the suicidal ideation leading to suicidal you know it could lead to a, a, a succession of suicide. Um, and then last and foremost, the legality aspect of that, which is obtaining it, buying it, selling it, supplying it with your friends. And that, that would be a disaster for your whole life, getting a felony. Yeah. I'm not sure how judges look at psychedelics nowadays, but it's not good. So, so that is, uh, again, these are some of the things that I like our listeners to deeply meditate on, just closing your eyes and just meditating on the consequences alone and ask themselves, are these well worth it, um, w worth it in comparison to the manual labor of meditative practice? Now we move on to the solution to the problem from a Buddhist uh, context and perspective. So meditation aims to, first and foremost, calm your mind, right? The mind is a very violent thing, mm. extremely violent thing. It leads us into delusions. It leads us into anger. It leads us into greed. It leads us into wanting more, more of anything, more cars, more money, more drugs, more sex. Uh, for example, let's take sex. And sex can lead to STDs, STIs, uh, a life-changing diagnosis just based on one night stand. You only crave more of what, you know, that feel-good feeling. And you just crave and crave and crave. Craving causes a lot of suffering, said the Buddha. Um, so meditation aims to slow things down because once everything is slowed down as much as possible, you can see things clearer. For example, a lake, a turbulent lake, right? If I take a remote control boat and stir up the water in the lake, lakes typically they're kind of calm and serene, serenity. 
tranquil. <clears throat> so if I kind of stir this lake up a little bit, you know, put a remote control boat in there and it kicks up mud and all this stuff, you can't see through the bottom. You can't see what's the pebble that's, you know, that just dropped from the tree down to the bottom, the beauty of it. So our mind is like that. Every day people poke a stick at us. Every day people will, well, typically offend you. How? By cutting in front of you in front of traffic, for example, uh, using certain language that is not please, you know, pleasing to your ears you know, or touch your ego. A lot of it has to do with ego. <clears throat> and so, you know, we're just like, are you serious? We jump to conclusions. Uh, we blow things out of proportion without sufficient evidence. And so when the mind is disturbed, it is like that muddy water, that turbulent water. So therefore, you cannot see clearly. When you cannot see clearly, you cannot achieve clarity in those moments, in those moments where they're trying you, then you make irrational decision. Meditation also aims to drop things. Uh, dropping negative acquired emotions, dropping negative acquired bad habits, right? How we cuss every day, <laughs> how we get angry all the time, right? Uh, so I've been fortunate to observe a lot during my career as a legal and medical interpreter. So when people suffer the most or suffer the consequences of their actions, I am there in court with them or in the medical setting when they get beat up. So I got to observe all of these things and I've observed all ages, stages and ages of humans. And I have seen people in their 60s and 70s uh, and their anger, the proliferating anger that they did not spend time to extinguish uh, their whole life. So therefore, no one wants to be around them. And at the, at the end of your life, you want to, you know, be peaceful and joyful and enjoy all of the all of the things that you have done for yourself and for people, not in accumulated despair. In psychology, that is the last stage in, in life that you could result in is accumulated despair. And that's really, that's terrible. The Dalai Lama have said, if you live a good life, you can live it again when you're older. Okay. Good life equals a good death. Hmm. And the process leading <laughs> and the process leading to that. Um, <clears throat> meditation helps you to let go of greed, anger, and delusion. Uh, and delusion means the ignorance of the four noble truth. So you don't have to be Buddhist to see certain of these truths to be the actual truth of life. The actual true nature of reality of life. You can be Muslim at the time of this talk. You can be Catholic at the time, Presbyterian, Episcopal. You name it. All, you can be any religion right now and examine the Four Noble Truth and see that, wow, that's what we humans are engaged in every single day. That's how we were made to be. And that is how we come to destroy the one and only Mother Earth that we are inhabiting now. And then if you look at the Four Noble Truth, the fourth one, which is the path to liberation is by following the Noble Eightfold Path. That is the solution to our problem. That is the middle way. That is the way to enlightenment. That is the way to the good death. That is the way to clarity. That is the way to arahantship and Buddhahood. Now, <clears throat> arahantship is just letting go of everything. So let's say for our skeptics out there, they're like, ah, well, 
what if arahantship is not real? An arahant is someone who has achieved enlightenment, and they are now in a place there is no physical pain and no mental pain. They will no longer take rebirths down the road. Well, look, even if it's not real, that idea alone sounds really good right about now. I can operate on that. I can operate on that. Okay. Does it make sense to me as a human to let go of greed? I grew up as a sex addict. Mm. All the pain and sorrow and misery. Well, I ran away from the pain and misery by having sex, just like most people. Uh, addiction to gambling, addiction to sex, drug, alcohol. Right? I, I was that. I am the face of that. I am a representative of that former life. And so, does it make sense to me to let go of greed and desire? Yes, I agree and affirm unshakable faith and confidence that, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. So I invite our listeners to test these hypotheses, said the Buddha. In the Kalama Sutta, the Buddha says, look, don't even believe me. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> go, I invite you to test out these hypotheses for yourself and see if you yourself, in fact, achieve peace. When the mind has been brought under control, when the mind is well attended to, and when the mind is well disciplined, does, in fact, yield great happiness. So that, that foundation alone, the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma alone, uh, that you can resort back to any point in time, uh, that you can access in your library of knowledge in your head any point in time, it was really comforting to me. Because let's say someone poke a stick at me right now and I'm looking around, I'm like, uh-oh, where's MDMA? Where is, uh, you know, psilocybin? Where is uh, LSD right now? And if there's not no, nothing in my cabinet, I'm in trouble. I'm going to go take my axe and run after that guy. That's a felony. Yeah? Uh, you, can create, you, you can create all sorts of capital life felonies for yourself. Because what kind of philosophy are you working on? Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of a belief uh, system that you're, you're, you're working on? So Buddhism is a comprehensive and most effective educational system the world has ever seen. And sometimes we just have to undo what, what life did to us, the causes and conditions that created us with our greed, anger, and delusion, and try to deconstruct that. Uh, just undo, trying, Buddhism is all about undoing all of that and starting over reborn again as a new person starting over with a another chance um past your sins past your mistakes past your unwholesome deeds thoughts okay to now purify the good and wholesome heart does that make sense what is god uh, everyone's trying to find god everyone's trying to find the meaning to god well i can tell you from a buddhist perspective the heart your heart right now as i'm pointing to mine Human heart is like God, is like creator. Look at Hitler. Look at what he did. He, that man was God when, during, he, during when he reigned the world. Look how many lives he took, right? If you're God, you can take lives, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, and so it only takes one bad heart to change the whole world. And look at all of our mass shooters. In those moments when they're holding that AK-47 with a drum mag, they're God. When, that, when they're pointing that thing at you, guess what? You're looking at God down the barrel. And he's now going to take your life and the lives of many around you. <clears throat> Does it make sense to cultivate a good, loving, kindness heart with compassion uh, so that we become 
gods of love, gods of compassion, kind, gods of caringness. And if you do do that in this lifetime, you will always be remembered as that person who gave more and took less. A legacy you will leave behind. Not a legacy of, yo, yeah, he was really addicted to psychedelics and off he went. How did he give back to society? How did he help others? By what? Inviting them to do more trips and then created more pain and suffering for their families. When you look at some of these uh, consequences that I have outlined above, um, whoever uh, suggests recommend, recommend without medical expertise uh, and you cause death, that will now lie on your karma. If you create suffering for others, the causes and conditions from suffering for others, you have accumulated bad karma. That's not good. And we all have respect for karma, no matter what religion you are. We can see that clearly on my TikTok, uh, anyone's TikTok page. Yeah, instant karma or, you know, karma is a beep. You know, I mean, you name it. People have direct experience with their own karma. So I hope that is a comprehensive as much as comprehensive, as much as possible. Uh, I know that we can't compress all in one hour, but I would invite people to test out uh, Buddhism. It does take hard work. Yeah, you won't be able to achieve enlightenment right away. And you may not achieve enlightenment in this lifetime. Sometimes it may take multiple lifetimes. So I tell my students, you're one step closer to enlightenment. And I myself have experienced that peace that I've shared with you uh, in our preliminary talk that almost two decades of meditating, I got a glimpse, a 20 minute of heaven time and four hours of human time of what peace actually is when there was no mental pain and was there with no mental suffering. Of course, coming back now into the city and engaged in human affairs and mitigating human pain and suffering, I am now in the pool of that. And so it's very hard now for me to achieve that same peace, but I got a taste of it. And just that taste alone gives me unshakable faith and confidence to endure this path, to achieve it again. And at the moment of my death, if I can let everything go, greed, anger, and delusion, greed, anger, delusion, then I will become an arahant just like all the previous arahants we have seen. And now people pay respect to those arahants uh, worldwide, most notably Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Moon, Ajahn Li, uh, in the Thai forest Theravada tradition. Um, and, you know, I, I can live with this philosophy. It is my job to prove the Buddha wrong. Hmm. I am, I can be considered as a scientist. I can, can be considered as a skeptic. A seeker. I can be considered a seeker, correct. And I'm trying to prove the Buddha wrong because you see, I'm 34. So therefore the human side of me, inside the skin, wants to get laid, wants more chocolate, wants more alcohol, wants this and wants that. But I challenge these beliefs every day and ask myself, okay, go ahead and disrobe. Because the rule for disrobing is, I tell one other human in this room, any room, I can tell you I'm disrobing and disrobe tomorrow and go out and have more sex uh, or drink more alcohol or try psychedelics for the first time. But that does not a guarantee to me. That is not stable, lasting happiness to me. That does, I would shake my head to that at this point in time. So I know someone listening here is going to say, 
do I have to become a monk to find peace? Or is there another way for me? Nope. You do not have to be a monk. You do not have to be a bhikkhu. Uh, the Buddha achieved enlightenment on his own human effort. He is proof that he achieved that any human can achieve enlightenment on their own and by and through their own human effort. That means manual effort. That means no laziness. Mm. That means you do have to investigate your mind, uh, trace back the root cause of the problem, uh, also known as paticca samupada, dependent origination, the practice of dependent origination. Investigate your ego. Investigate everything about you. That's what spirituality is, is knowing you. Know thyself. Conquer yourself. The Buddha said, you can win 1,000 battles 1,000 times. But the noblest victor of all is one who conquers himself. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That whole time I felt high as hell. I was so high. Just listening and, to you. You know, you know what? Let's talk about high. Because so when you when you are dedicated and committed to this path, the road less traveled, uh, of this path right here, the path to peace in Buddhism, you really get a high. And I can tell you the high that I get. I mean, just look at some of my video. I mean, how do you think I attracted these people? Because they see the natural high that I, that I I'm expounding, that I'm projecting. Yeah. Because I have suffered. That's what they see when they see my eyes. It comes through the voice. Everything that they feel about me, they see about me, is my true self. Uh, I'm not here to wear robes to like fool you into something. I'm not here to sell Buddhism or sell enlightenment. Clearly, yes. you meet me here in Saint Petersburg, and you're gonna find out. You're gonna feel the peace when you're sitting with me. And so, yeah, absolutely. When, when in doubt, and of course I, I, I sometimes I doubt, I'm like, oh, this, this enlightenment thing seems a little far-fetched. And I go back to the teachings and meditating on the four noble truths and summertime Vipassana meditation. And I just get this high all by myself. And I'm just like, you know what? You, you're, when you read the comforting words of the Buddha, such a wise, enlightened, noble being, trust me, all of your, endorphins and dopamine is going to release on its own. Uh, and there had extensive research into holy people uh, taking the holy path and how, how high they get. Just look at some of the Christian churches, some of the, the Christian chapels. And when they sing and when they believe uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, the gospel, and just the high that they get. And that's how, you know, they got more and more and more people coming in because they're like, oh, wow, she own it. She on that natural trip and I really want to be it. Um, I still listen to Christian music until this very day. And I still get high from that. Um, you know, it's, it's very comforting. I used to be Catholic before taking this, this path. And you can be Catholic and, and practice Buddhism. Many priests have said, by practicing Buddhism, I have become a better priest. Mm. Wow. There's so much more I wanted to ask you, but now it doesn't seem important enough to bring about. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, there was, the, there was other things I had in mind around criticism and forgiveness, which we had discussed, and letting go. Um, but I feel like you've covered a lot of it. Uh, I did want to share this story on this podcast, which summarized for me what the middle way really meant in, a, in, in, a, in something I listened from Alan Watts. And he shared a story that once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer, and he lost one of his horses one day. The horse just ran away. So all of his neighbors, they came around and then said, hey, well, that's too bad, isn't it? And he said, maybe. So the next day, this horse 
comes back and it brings back seven other wild horses with him. So the neighbors all come around and say, isn't that great? He says, maybe. So the next day, his son is playing with one of these wild horses. He's trying to tame this horse. He falls off and breaks his leg. The neighbors come around and say, isn't that too bad? He said, maybe. And the following day, people that were recruiting for the army came by, saw his son, and disqualified him because he had a broken leg. And all the neighbors came by and said, isn't that wonderful? He said, maybe. Right? So the whole point of the whole story is you don't know what is good and what is bad in your life. You know, if you have this attitude of neutrality, of seeing things for what they are, not making conclusions wildly out, you know, is this going to be so bad for me or this is so good for me, really don't know how it was going to play itself out, you know. So I really like that story a lot. It, it kind of brought that message to me. So yeah, that, that that's so, something. Go ahead. So in uh, I believe we're concluding our session soon. So right, and I can keep going if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, the middle way the Buddha taught is not too extreme of something and not too lazy of anything. Mm-hmm. So say you do uh, psychedelics at the time of this talk, right? Just don't do too much of it. Make sure it's safe and you're under supervision of professional care or someone that knows what they're doing so you don't get killed. Uh, You know, you don't make mistakes. You don't run out there naked in the streets, Um, but slowly cut down because I really want, I like to see people see the true nature of reality of life. That's, that's, we're here to make sense of it. Um, And the other thing when it comes to the talk on rebirth is that, yeah, do you want to come back again in this lifetime? I mean, so there's four stages of enlightenment in Buddhism. You know, there's the once returner and then there's the sotapan, which is the first stage. First stage, you come back no more than seven lifetimes as a human. Well, I tell you what, if I had to come back one more time, oh, just that thought alone is doesn't appeal to me. Imagine coming back and dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing with now. Mm. Without any guarantee that you will have two eyes, two ears, a mouth, nose, five fingers, five toes. Without any guarantee, you can come back paraplegic. You can come back with brain damage. You can come back with Down syndrome. You can come back with severe ADHD. You can come back with a lot of things. Therefore, again, again, rebirth or no rebirth, that sounds real good right about now, is that if I take the noble path, then I will mitigate my chances of taking unfavorable rebirth. Yes. And so... I mean, just that philosophy alone, can you work with that? Does that make sense to you and for all or any humans out there? And so the middle way is not harming yourself, not harming others, and find your joy and happiness in between, you know, uh, and try to cut back uh, whatever is not good for you. And and really do do the research to know what is good for you. Drinking too much water is not good for you. Sleeping too much is not good for you. So find your middle way. In between, we're always constantly looking at research, always constantly. This is the joy of being human, is that constantly updating our software, which is our brain and our mind, to finding joy and the art of living, uh, longevity, happiness and longevity, uh, to prosper as a human. Um, and, and so, you know, don't take the shortcut. Sometimes the shortcut is not going to be good. And if you you somehow harm yourself, you will never be the same 
and or you can lose the capacity for actual enlightenment. You can gain something short term and then damage something long term and it will never be the same. And it's going to be really hard for neurologists and psychiatrists and psychologists to reel you back in. And it's really hard for me to guide you one on one to see the true nature of reality. Uh, it is what it is and it can't be what it ain't. But you have to be alert, alive, conscious, breathing normally in order to experience that. So, you know, I really hope that people get this message. Uh, and, and I know there's going to be questions that comes after this. And I invite those questions to come at any time, to either directed to you or they can find me on my, my platforms, uh, you know, and we'll work through it. We're all trying to figure this out as humans, what life is, why we're here, how we're going to get through this and for the remaining balance of our natural life. That's beautifully put, T. Dow. And I look forward to meeting you in person. I plan to be uh, in Florida, kind of around the area that you're in. So I'd love to sit with you when I'm out there. I'll be in touch. Um, for those of you listening, please send any questions you do have for me or for him, and we'll be happy to get those answered again in another episode. I wanted to find a, a way to see if we could do a meditation in closing, but I don't know if you have the time for it. If not, we can do it another time. But I figured if there's something you could guide us through, maybe a simple variation, then someone listening to this who's never meditated and, and, and wants to try can get a real experience from, from you in this setting. So I actually would like to invite the four techniques, right? And though we won't have time to sit through all four, I'll just give the instructions slowly. And then you people may have to go back, rewind it, and hear it again. That's perfect. And I invite people to really sit with the silence and, you know, and just simply trying to track your mind and see if anything arises and just enjoy the peace or a glimpse of it uh, through the four techniques of mindfulness of the breath. So <clears throat> before introducing these techniques, we're trying to do something that the mind does not want to do, which is slowing it down. It is that the mind is like a train, hundred miles, yeah, well, goodness, 300 miles an hour train. And so meditation aims to put the brakes on the train, but you can't really fully stop it right away. It will slowly come to a halt after a couple miles or kilometers. <laughs> so, um, now, the mind's job is to produce thoughts, right? The river of thoughts that come. And when the thoughts that come, all sorts of thoughts, thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future. So our job is to be the expert witness and expert pedestrian. An expert pedestrian does not jump in front of traffic and try to stop traffic. So the river of thoughts, the thoughts are like traffic, hmm. right? The expert pedestrian just kind of stand on the sidewalk chilling. And looking at traffic and just kind of giggle at traffic, just like, oh, man, look at that guy. What an idiot. Right? Um, <laughs> and just kind of giggle. So some of our thoughts are really silly thoughts, you know. And where we get ourselves in trouble is when we try to jump in front of traffic and to try to stop and analyze who's in the car. Mm, wow. Don't try to analyze Karen. Karen's going to be Karen. Right? Just let her be. Right? She is who she is and she's going to do whatever she wants to do. So, uh, so <clears throat> we just let the thoughts pass without judgment. Right? Don't attach meaning to the thoughts. This, uh, that's where we get ourselves in trouble is we stop on one thought, we analyze it, 
then certain feelings arises and now you got yourself into a lot more trouble than you were. Right. So again, then we move on to the first uh, technique. The first technique is with our back straight, shoulders relaxed, relaxing all of the muscles in our face with our eyes closed. Right. And just a small little smile on our face when we enter meditation. The first technique is breathing in. I know I'm breathing in. Breathing out. I know I'm breathing out. We want to be able to verbalize that either internally or out loud. Why do we have to remind ourselves in knowing that breathing in, I know I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. We look at simple daily tasks and we see that when we're washing the dishes, we're not really washing dishes. We're actually somewhere else. When washing the dishes, we're doing it just to get it over with, but planning to pay bills the next couple hours or picking up Johnny or forgetting to do our homework. So that's not enlightenment in those moments that you're washing the dishes. If you fully enjoy in the present moment, you're right there in the present moment, that is enlightenment. If you're no longer thinking about the past or present, that is enlightenment in that moment. <clears throat> so breathing in, I know I'm breathing in. Just like when you're walking or washing your hands or doing anything, just know that you're doing it. A Buddha is one which knows. Mm, he knows when certain thought arises and he knows when his feet is kissing the earth. The second method is the counting method. This is good for taming anger in the moment of anger, when anger arises. In breath one, out breath one. In breath two, out breath two. In breath three, out breath three. <clears throat> All the way to 10. And counting backwards, that buys enough time for the mind to diffuse itself. We're cutting the cord, the fuel supply to anger. Right? When we get angry, we find more reasons to get angry. And I know darn well he did not just call me a beep, 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 beep. But who does he think he actually really is? Right? We start this negative self-talk fuel to yeah. the fire. So the counting methods gives the mind a one-pointed concentration technique to just focus on this counting and breathing. <laughs> and so it will lose its power eventually. Right? Um, the third technique is a really cool one. Analyzing the temperature of the air that you breathe through your nostrils. Uh, so in this room right now, is it 75 degrees? Is it 77 degrees? Is it 80 degrees? Oh, goodness, it's chilly. It's 60 degrees. See, the next time you walk into a doctor's office or a lawyer's office or wherever or a school, just notice, hmm, I am mindful of how many degrees is in here. Aha, in those moments, I'm enlightened. <laughs> I'm enlightened to the temperature, right? Then the fourth technique is pretty much the same as the first. It is a Thailand technique. In breath, boot. Out breath, toll. Wood, 
Buddhapol. Buddhapol. Buddhapol means Buddha in Thailand. And it is exactly this technique that I practiced for the past 14 years. When everything fails, I tell my younger students, like age 10, uh, when everything, when your mind now overruns you, take your hands and put them on your tummy and feel the rising and falling of the abdomen. Now we're back right here in reality. Now we're back to ourselves. Now we're back to our own temple. Uh, now we know we're here. Now we know we're in this room. Uh, and then we just simply observe our tummy getting bigger, in breath bigger, <sighs> exhale, out breath, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out, and the balloon deflates. And just the joy alone of just having fun with your tummy. Mm. You do this, you will live longer. You do this, you will lower your high blood pressure. You do this, your whole review of system in your body will improve. If you don't believe me, just Google it. Benefits of meditation will give you about 25 plus health benefits of meditation. You do this, you will focus better. You, would, you do this, you will improve ADHD. That's real peace. That's real joy. That's real high, knowing that I am taming uh, the human flaws just the one thing that has already built inside of me and no need to go to the medicine cabinet. That's so either powerful. Legally, <laughs> either legally or illicit uh, medicine cabinet. Simply put, the one thing we already have within us, either you're on the Titanic ship or right here at home in your last days or the whole process and joy of living. Just the breath alone, how powerful that is. Yes. So I invite our listeners to repeat these processes. It is easy, said, than done. But your job as a scientist, as a human, is to test the hypothesis that has been given to you. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Chidao, for giving us your time today and giving us your presence, more importantly, and a glimpse of your wisdom. I hope you guys found this podcast very, very insightful. I didn't talk as much usually as I do because I was just absorbing and, and really listening to the, the way you describe some of the things that I know I go through and many of our listeners also go through. So I wish you all the best and thank you so much for listening and thank you, Chida, for being here. Thank you for having me. May you all be well, be happy, be free, be free from mental suffering, be free from physical suffering. May you all realize the light of your own true nature. May you all be healed and be a source of healing for others. Thank you for checking out this show. I really appreciate your time and I can't wait to hear from you. If you want to give me any feedback or want to get in touch, know someone that I should put on the show, reach out to me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you are online, you bet you can find me there. Just search for The Real Abinov. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.